namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa buddhang dhammang sanghang namasami I'll begin this evening by responding to Anagarika Margit's question the other day. So thank you very much for uh, printing up this passage from the Lumpur Cha um, collected teachings. So this was a, a question that was asked a couple of days ago uh, about refuge and uh, uh, reliability. And so uh, the, the passage is from the Dhamma talk called, Why Are We Here?, and uh, this is Lumpur Cha speaking. The true refuge is the heart, nothing else. You may try to depend on other things, but they aren't a sure thing. You can only really, really depend on other things if you already have a refuge within yourself. You must have your own refuge first before you can depend on anything else, be it a teacher, family, friends, or relatives. So that's a, a notable comment by, by Lumpur Cha. And um, so reading that, uh, what uh, I uh, uh, understand that to, uh, to mean is that um, when you have a, a refuge within yourself, then the, the heart uh, is seeing everything in the context of Dhamma. So it's seeing everything in terms of, of impermanence and uh, unsatisfactoriness and not self. So that um, if you have a refuge uh, in your in yourself, if you uh, say if there's that, there is that internal refuge of the uh, of the jitta, that quality of seeing things as they really are, then uh, you can depend on other things. But that dependence is in a context of. Um, Realizing that everything is impermanent, so like you take depend, you took dependence on me as a teacher at the beginning of this um, uh, this winter retreat, the, uh, the taking of Nisaya, but uh, I might drop dead. You know, <laughs> those kind of worldly uh, worldly um, uh, dependencies are uh, unstable. They are they're uh, unreliable. They're not they're not a fixed thing. And so that uh, when we have a, a refuge within ourselves, the heart is really awake to uh, to Dhamma. Then any kind of um, relative refuge, or uh, I say um, a worldly refuge like this building, you know, it's it's an impermanent thing, or this microphone, or the camera, or or my voice. You know, they, <laughs> these are things that are, are say, uh, a useful and uh, a helpful structure. Like the, uh, the this building is a refuge. You can you can keep warm. It's bright. There's no uh, there's no wind, no rain. So it's a it's a refuge. It's, it's a shelter. But there's the understanding that this is not something that is absolute or or totally reliable. It's it's convenient. It's, it's a skillful means. It's an upaya. It provides a a relative uh, refuge, a relative quality of security. And so the the, the mind holds it in that context. So uh, the way I read this is that when you have a, um, 
say, uh, a heart that is awake to Dhamma, to awake to the way things are, awake to uh, the reality of things, then it's always seeing that any kind of worldly object is necessarily unstable and uncertain and that it's held within that that context so you can re- you can rely on a teacher or family or friends or or uh, relatives and such like uh, but your that reliance is uh, is seen in the context of this is only um uh, a temporary or an uns- uh, or a, an unstable and an incomplete kind of a refuge it's a it's a skillful means and so that uh, when we talk about upaya or skillful means, it's like the having a building like this is a, a skillful means. Having uh, someone in the role of a teacher like myself, you take dependence on the teacher, or I'm depending on the the microphone continuing to work, or the camera, or the the power supply. <laughs> There's a dependence, but you know, any moment it can just blink out. It can it can all switch off and and go. And so that the um, the the say the the way that the heart holds such skillful means or such uh, worldly uh, refuges or w- worldly uh, structures is in that kind of a context. That's the way it's understood. So that's how I would read that. So I hope that's uh, illuminates uh, that uh, at least. Uh, that's uh, how I I uh, understand it to be. Um, uh, expressing the teaching. So thank you for asking. So to go on to today's reading, this is continuing the um, uh, the readings from Volume 3 of the Ajahn Sumedho Anthology, uh, Direct Realization. And these are uh, talks from the book The Way It Is, and these are Dhamma teachings that Lumpur Sumedho gave in the winter retreat of 1988. This is chapter 10, called Patience. Peacefulness and tranquility can be incredibly boring, and a lot of restlessness and doubt can come up as a result. Restlessness is a common problem because the sensory realm is a restless realm. Bodies are restless. Minds are restless. Conditions are changing all the time, so if you're caught up in reacting to change, you're restless. Restlessness needs to be thoroughly understood for what it is. The practice is not one of just using the will to bind yourself to the meditation mat. It's not a test of your becoming a strong person who has to conquer restlessness. That attitude just reinforces another egotistical view. It's a matter of really investigating restlessness, noticing it and knowing it for what it is. For this, we have to develop patience. It's something we have to learn and really work with. So restlessness, uh, uh, the Pali for that is udacha kukucha. That's one of the five uh, five hindrances, the um, the obstacles to samadhi, to, to concentration and to uh, settledness, collectedness of, of mind. So udacha kukucha is one of those five. The others are sense desire, uh, karma chanda, ill will, biapada, um, uh, dullness and drowsiness, dinamita, uh, restlessness, and then doubt, vichikicha. Uh, those are the five hindrances and uh, obstruct uh, samadhi. And uh, uh, in a, f- uh, a few days ago, we were talking about um, this quality of patience and how, uh, when when we use the English word patience, it can have that um, 
uh, a kind of negative connotation to it that you're just, oh, well, I suppose I have to just be patient and that kind of uh, sort of sullen attitude or begrudging. Uh, and so something is just sort of switching off and um, there's a fundamental negativity there and just uh, waiting for it to be over. Or it can be a, a, a test of resolution, like, or just be patient, be patient, so gritting your teeth and muscling your, your way through. And as Lung Po puts it here, it's not a test of you be, becoming a strong person who has to conquer restlessness. That attitude just reinforces another egotistical view. So that similarly, it's it's being patient in a in the sort of English usage of the word, it's sort of just uh, gritting your teeth and bearing it. Um, but uh, both of those kinds of patience, either the begrudging type or the or the um, endurance type, uh, just that gritting uh, gritting teeth. Um, both of those are. So they have a value in them, they're developing a certain kind of strength or, or resoluteness, but they are based on self and, and based on, on time, uh, that it's a, a way of you know, wait, uh, waiting for things to be over. There is this difficult, painful experience, and we're, we're uh, needing to, to stay with it. So we, we grit our teeth or we just sort of shut down our feelings and, and we're waiting for it to be over with the idea that when this is over, then that will, that will be good. When this has come to its, its end, that's a good thing. And so there's a, um, uh, a kind of a, 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 um, a way of dealing with that painful experience, mental or physical, but it, it's still a state of suffering. So the, the patience, which is the real um, paramita, the, uh, which is, means a, uh, a method of carrying the heart across, that means getting to, yesterday we were talking about the raft, getting to the other shore. So paramita is the way to, to, uh, to get to, to, to the other side, to the other shore, to, to carry the heart across from difficulty to, uh, to peacefulness and freedom. So the patience, which is the paramita, which is the quality of kanti, K-H-A-N-T-I, kanti, um, that's not a state of suffering. It's a, it's a way of dealing with painful and uncomfortable um, experiences or attitudes. But uh, it's, it's not a state of suffering in and of itself, that rather all the paramitas, the, the ten paramitas, they are modes of liberation. They are, they are bright, uh, and you know, bright, strong, uh, liberating qualities of the heart. And then Lumpur um, emphasizes here, it's a matter of really investigating restlessness, noticing it and knowing it for what it is. For this we have to develop patience. It's something we have to learn and really work with. So also um, that uh, opening comment he made in the first paragraph, uh, this is a restless realm. The sensory realm is a restless realm. Bodies are restless, minds are restless. That's part of our, our inheritance of having been born, having a body, having a mind. There's going to be a certain amount of agitation in the system. It, uh, it's, it's active. It, it likes to keep moving. It needs to keep moving. Uh, our eyes, our ears, our, our bodies, they're, they're constantly adjusting and, and looking for opportunities, looking for danger, looking for uh, the... Uh, the Anything that, that's interesting, that's that we should be worried about, or excited about, or irritated by. So, uh, 
part of, uh, of this quality of patience is, in a way, an understanding that <laughs> this is a restless realm. The body, the, the, the conditioned mind, they have restless, agitated qualities to them. That's, that's part of the way it is. And so that um, the, uh, the essence of patience, uh, uh, I like to point out, is the, the wisdom that, uh, that lets go of time. The, 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 there's a recognition of as long as there's a, a me waiting for this painful thing to be over, then there's, there's dukkha being created right there. But if there's the quality of wisdom uh, that awakes, uh, awakens to the, uh, the timeless quality of, of Dhamma, the Akalika, uh, the, uh, Akalika Dhamma, the timeless quality of, of reality, then there, uh, the essence of patience is letting go of time. It's not waiting for a future when th this is not going to be present, but rather it's opening the heart to this, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the painful experience of physical or mental might be present, but there isn't a, a, uh, an investing in, in a, a future when this isn't going to be there. Rather, it's changing the attitude to what is present. So there's an openness of heart uh, and a, uh, a quality of attunement to, to Dhamma that there is no time, there's no future, there's just this. <laughs> so that uh, even though there's a, a, a painfulness, that first arrow is there, ow, ow, this hurts. <laughs> the, the mind isn't creating, oh, well, in a few minutes it'll be over, or if I just do this, then I'll get rid of it, or uh, maybe I'll be able to do uh, some exercises so I won't have to have this, pa this pain uh, in, in the future. But rather, there's a, an openness of heart um, to to what is present and that uh, uh, appreciating that the, there's a, a, a restless habit in the system that the, it's natural for the mind to be hunting for a, a, a way to get away from the painful feeling or it's, uh, it's uh, natural for the system to be agitated and looking for opportunity or, or to to uh, say uh, get hold of something that we like or get away from something that we dislike and that that recognition of well of course <laughs> of course the system is restless it, it that, that's the way it, it's it's built that's the way nature is and the more that the heart sees things in terms of nature rather than in terms of self then the more there is an attunement to to reality, to, to Dhamma, there's a, 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 a great peacefulness in that. And so that, uh, uh, as uh, Lumpur says, the attitude of just trying to be a strong person who conquers restlessness, that attitude just reinforces another egotistical view um, that that as a letting go of that uh, ha the habit of seeing things in terms of self-view. I've got to deal with this uh, this pain, pain in my leg, or I've got to deal with this boring dhamma talk, or I've got to d deal with this uh, lo uh, long and, uh, and uh, tedious meeting. Um, but the I've got to deal with it. I have to endure. I, I must. I should. The all that I making and mind making, again, is feeding the quality of dukkha. And the more that the heart sees things in terms of dhamma, of nature rather than in terms of self, then, then right there, there is that uh, the, 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 the causes of dukkha are not being created in the, in the same way. And the degree to which um, that 
uh, say, uh, acknowledgement of nature is like this. And uh, here it is. It's exactly this way in this moment. Here it is. It's this way. We're not pretending that we like it or that the, the sweet, the bitter is sweet. Um, uh, we're not pretending that there isn't that turbulence or agitation in the system, but there's the openness of heart that says, right now, it's exactly this way. <laughs> Here it is, it's exactly like this. So the mind is not investing in it being different uh, or the relief from suffering coming from uh, from the changing of the condition, but the relief from suffering is the, the, not, the not getting hit by the second arrow, just that openness uh, of heart that is not negotiating, not fretting, not um, resenting, but that uh, a sense of, you know, here it is and that that uh, the, the degree to which that uh, change of heart can be established, that's the, the real root of patience. So that you're not waiting for the painful or difficult situation to be over. Uh, there's a, uh, an attunement, letting go of time, letting go of self, and, uh, and a, uh, a recognition that that agitation or that painfulness or that uh, uh, those kind of... Um, turbulent and, and um, busy aspects of our field of experience. That's just the way nature is. That's just the way the sense world is. And that in that moment, the heart uh, is uh, enabled to free itself. It's, no, it's not tied to the field of sense experience. It's not tied to the five khandhas. It's knowing the five khandhas, but it's not tied to them. It's not identified with them or limited by them. So, any questions, comments before I carry on? Yes, Ajahn Chandasiri, please. Really just a comment, because um, it seems to me that in these kind of situations that there are other qualities that are important to bring forth, um, like mindfulness. And one of the things I always feel is helpful is curiosity. So that rather than trying to get rid of it or to think your way out of it, it's just to be really curious and investigate, mm-hmm. um, you know, whatever's going on in the mind in relation to whatever it is that one's experiencing. So, just wanted to mention that. Yes, yeah, that, that's uh, yeah, that um, uh, that dhamma vijaya, that investigation of the situation, the, the reality of it, and the. Uh, then also Yoni So Manasikara, that wise reflection, they're really very, very similar qualities, that sense of, oh, why is this so unbearable? Um, and so, uh, or bringing a reflection like, so I, w- I would be totally happy if this pain went away. That kind of, uh, that use of, of wise reflection and curiosity and in, in investigation to, to um, in a, also to, in a way, uh, undercut the the reactive uh, patterns. Yes, to, to be able to do that with a kind of sense of playfulness, rather than uh, as a strategy for getting rid of it. <laughs> yeah, if if it's just a cunning ploy to try and get rid of it, it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> there has to be a sincerity. Uh, yeah. A, a real, a genuine open-heartedness. If it's if me trying to weasel my way to getting things, I, getting things to be the way I like, then weaseling creates more suffering. My experience. Can we quote you on that? Yes, please do. Nothing against weasels, but you know that that mentality of so sort of manipulating or, or um, um, uh, t- 
just the maneuvering to get things the way I like. I, I, I was um, one of the, the monks was having a conversation with me a few days ago, and uh, he reminded me this um, uh, occasion when we had a four-hour when we used to have four-hour sittings from time to time. <laughs> And uh, it was uh, over in the retreat center shrine room and um, the, on this particular occasion. And I was in a very uh, a sort, of, sort of hyper ardent, zealous phase of my practice. And so Lumpur had announced that we were going to have a four hour sitting um, that afternoon. And that the rules of the four hour sitting was that you had to arrive in the, in the meditation hall and then uh, you could change your posture but you had to stay on your mat for the whole four hours and no one was allowed to, to leave for any reason whatsoever and so I was in a particularly ardent um, phase of my practice as I said so I showed up early and was already sitting on my mat so before one o'clock I think it was going from one o'clock to five o'clock so I was already there at 12.45 or something like of that nature ready to, to do my bit and and so and I'd made the resolution well um, okay just staying on the mat that's not too difficult but I'll, I'll not change my posture for the whole period of time and so uh, uh, as often happens if you make that kind of a resolution normally at that point I could sit quite comfortably for an hour without feeling any pain at all but because of that resolution I'm not going to move I, I, I'm going to fix my posture and I will not change my posture until the bell rings at five o'clock that, that the effect of that resolution made it agonizingly painful I think even before one o'clock came around <laughs> it was like oh after ten minutes I was oh, oh. and so I was miserably painful uh, aching legs you know legs on fire and aching uh, and uh, and I was completely self-absorbed in this um, pain, you know, me and my pain. And it got to about two o'clock, about an hour had gone by, and I realized I've been sitting here for a whole hour and I've completely forgotten the fact that six, 60 other people are in the room with me. And I was so absorbed in my, my suffering and my pain. Why do I do this to myself? And <laughs> why did I make that stupid resolution? <laughs> Poor me. And it hit me that I hadn't... Um, uh, hadn't recollected that there was 60 other people there in the hall um, that were all practicing together. And I, so I opened my eyes and looked around and saw everyone was really you know, working hard on their meditation and uh, obviously it was quite challenging for, for many, many people. And so I thought, well, it's going to be painful anyway. I'm going to stick to my resolution, my aditana, but at least I can, rather than just wallowing in self-pity, I can do something useful. So I, I decided to just spread loving kindness to everybody else in the hall. And so then I started to do that. And then after about five or ten minutes, I began to notice, oh, my, my, my legs are getting less painful. And then, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour went by. Oh, it's almost... I'm almost comfortable and there's like a, you know, the, another 15-20 minutes went by got to about 3 o'clock I thought wow this is great yeah, I'm actually not feeling any discomfort at all wow if I just do this loving kindness thing then I'll be, I'll be pain free for the whole time so that was the arising of the weasel <laughs> The, kind of the, the weaselly mind and it was really interesting because as soon as there was that kind of calculating manipulating mind and immediately my legs started burning again <laughs> and it was like oh right as soon as it's not sincere uh, then 
the uh, the system reacts, and it was immediately okay, 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 okay. Just whatever, whatever. I don't care whether I feel pain or not. That's totally secondary. I'm just happy to sit here and spread loving kindness to everyone. And so then, as and it was an interesting dynamic because there had to be that absolute sincerity. If there was any sort of um, selfing, <laughs> self investment, self. Um, self-advantage being sought or uh, then it just it, the the result was was physical pain immediately and uh, to my surprise when uh, five o'clock came uh, my i'm not making any kind of claim about uh, anything but it was really interesting that when lumpur rang the bell at five o'clock my first thought was oh i was enjoying that which really surprised me though don't stay with that now you're gonna move right now don't <laughs> Just unwrap your legs and take advantage. Or don't get don't get ridiculously heroic. But uh, it was interesting that going from miserable pain based on self view to um, a, a heart based on loving kindness, uh, and then when the the period came to its conclusion, there was a sense of of something very sweet having come to a, a conclusion. So anyway, to continue. When I first went to Wat Bapong. I couldn't understand Lao, which is a local dialect. The, the Pasa Isan, the, the Isan Northeast Thai dialect, is is uh, mostly uh, Lao, uh, with a, you know, a number of Thai words in there, but it's mostly the Laotian language uh, as the dialect. When I first went to Wat Bapong, I couldn't understand Lao. In those days, Ajahn Chah was at his peak and giving three hour desanas every evening. He could go on and on and on, and everybody loved him. He was a very good speaker, very humorous, and everybody enjoyed his talks. But if you couldn't understand Lao, I'd be sitting there thinking, when's he going to stop? I'm wasting my time. I'd be really angry thinking, I've had enough, I'm leaving. But I couldn't get up enough nerve to leave, so I would just sit there thinking, I'll go to another monastery, I've had enough of this, I'm not going to put up with this. And then he would look at me. He had the most radiant smile, and he'd say, are you all right? And suddenly, all the anger that had been accumulating for those three hours would completely drop away. That's interesting, isn't it? After sitting there fuming for three hours, it would just go. So, I vowed that my practice would be patience, and that during this time, I would develop patience. i come to all the talks and sit through all of them as long as I could physically stand it. I determined not to miss them or try to get out of them, and just practice patience. And by doing that, I began to find that the opportunity to be patient was something that helped me very much. Patience is a very firm foundation for my insight and understanding of the Dhamma. Without it, I would just have wandered about, drifting, as you see so many people doing. Many Westerners came to Wat Bapong and drifted, uh, drifted away from it because they weren't patient. They didn't want to sit through three-hour dasanas and be patient. They wanted to go to the places where you could get instant enlightenment quickly in the way that you wanted. So, uh, the, um, the phrase that Lumpur would often, or, or another insight that Lumpur would often talk about uh, during, from, uh, from during this same period was a, a way he would reflect. He would use this kind of wise reflection that we were just talking about. He would say to himself, uh, 
If I spend 30 or 40 years as a monk and all I do is I learn to be just a little bit more patient, then all that time will not have been wasted. So he's, he's set that as a, a goal for his practice, not to become an arahant or become the, the, uh, the kind of uh, supreme patriarch of the Western Sangha uh, you know, on the planet Earth, um, these kind of worldly goals or, or uh, spiritual ambitions. He very deliberately said, if I can just be a little bit more patient after 30, 40, 50 years of monastic life, uh, all that time will not have been wasted. And uh, and then uh, similarly in commenting that was a really skillful, very helpful resolution to put in his mind because like many of us as Westerners and I think Asian people as well probably, <laughs> we can be very ambitious and we want to to uh, to be the best and get to get to the ultimate realization and to to um, uh, say conquer all our defilements, become an uh, become an arahant and uh, so on and so forth and. Um, to say, get a perspective on that ambitiousness and instead to, to really value that quality of patience and seeing that that's, that's a life well lived. If I can just be a little bit more patient <laughs> by the end of this lifetime, then uh, all these uh, years, 30, 40, 50 years of practice will not have been wasted. And then, and then seeing the, the effect of that, when bringing that kind of a reflection to mind, okay, and seeing how uh, that was really beneficial, and as he says, became a, 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 a very firm foundation for insight. He began to see that was a really trustworthy perspective to cultivate. So I, I, I highly recommend that uh, um, here myself. Because we can be driven by selfish desires and ambitions, even on the spiritual path, we can't always appreciate the way things are. When I actually contemplated on and reflected on my life at Wat Bapong, I realized that it was a very good situation. There was a good teacher. There was enough to eat. The monks were good monks. The lay people were very generous and kind, and there was encouragement towards the practice of Dhamma. This is as good as you can get. It was a wonderful opportunity, and yet so many Westerners couldn't see that because they tended to think, I don't like this, and I don't want that, and it should be otherwise, and what I think and what I feel, I don't want to be, I don't want to be bothered with this and that. I, remembered, I remember going up to Tham Sung Pet Monastery, which was a very quiet and secluded place in those years, and I lived in a cave. A villager built me a platform because in the depths of the cave there was a big python. It's a kind of snake for those of you know, big, non-venomous, but can certainly make you very uncomfortable if it wraps itself around you. There was a big python. One evening I was sitting on this platform by candlelight. It was really eerie and the light cast shadows on all the rocks. It was weird. I was sitting there and I started to get really frightened. And then suddenly I was startled. I looked up and there was a huge owl right above me, looking at me. It looked immense. I don't, know if it was, I don't know if it was really that big, but it looked enormous in the candlelight and was looking straight at me. I thought, well, what is there to be really frightened of here? And I tried to imagine skeletons and ghosts, or Mother Carly with fangs and blood dripping out of her mouth, or enormous monsters with green skin. And I began to laugh because it became so amusing. I realized I wasn't really frightened at all. 
So that uh, there's a, a few things in this uh, this piece. Um, as uh, Lumpur was saying, you know, Westerners who would come along to Wabapong and uh, and they would um, find fault with the place, and uh, they because it didn't fit their particular expectations or their ideals. Um, and uh, the um, uh, one of the, the things that that uh, you you find and. Uh, the, uh, the experience probably of, of, of a number of us is that we can have a very fi uh, fixed idea, a fixed picture of what we expect a, a monastery to be or a spiritual teacher to be or, or how we expect our meditation to be. And um, uh, uh, almost always, even if a person is extremely s uh, sincere and committed, the more fixed you have as, uh, uh, of an idea of how you think a monastery should be or a, a meditation teacher should be or the meditation practice should be, then yeah, you're uh, unconsciously creating the causes of a, a lot of dukkha and feeding the, <laughs> feeding the causes of restlessness right there because... Um, uh, the, the way things are, the, the way people are, the way the monast monasteries are, the way the, the weather is, or the, the teachers are, they can never quite fit your expectations, or your, um, the, the plan that you have for yourself. And so that um, that uh, uh, say experience of, of many, many people uh, coming along and, uh, and being disappointed, or finding fault with Ajahn Chah, or finding fault with Wat Pong, or the routine there, it was, uh, it was very, very common. I'm sure quite a few of us who've traveled through different places have been subject uh, to this. And um, so that uh, it's, it's not that every single place <laughs> is going to be a perfect fit. Um, certain teachers or certain places or certain uh, approaches to the practice, uh, they're going to be uh, some that we are uh, more in accordance with our own nature, our own character, there'll be more of a, what they call sapaya, the, the Thai word sabai uh, comes from the Pali sapaya, meaning a supportive condition or supportive conditions. So that um, that's understood, but uh, it, the, um, uh, the, the point that I think Lumpur is making here and that is, is kind of uh, tragic, ironic, that people can be incredibly sincere, incredibly dedicated, but not um, not appreciating, uh, as he said, the, we can be driven by selfish desires and ambitions even on the spiritual path. We can't always really appreciate the way things are. So you can be so fixed on how you want it to be, how you expect it to be, how you think it should be, that you can't really uh, appreciate what's in front of you because it doesn't quite fit your the, the map of your expectations. And, uh, and so that the readiness to recognize your expectations and put them aside and say, okay, well, perhaps this, this is good too, or oh, this isn't what I expected, but uh, let's see if I can learn from this. The more that we can do that, then the more every situation will be, will be beneficial, we'll be able to take advantage of, of the place to the degree that it, it is supportive. But the more we're fixated on uh, practicing according to our own expectations, our own our own views, or you know, practicing Dhamma on my own terms. And like I, I've got to have this particular kind of diet, I've got to have this particular room, I've got to have this uh, particular um, teaching program and practice program and study program. And if that isn't right, then you know, I can't practice there. That um, practicing Dhamma on our own terms is a, a, an oxymoron. So uh, the word oxymoron means something that is, is completely ridiculous. <laughs> So it's a it's a contradiction in terms, as they say. So it's 
So practicing Dhamma on my terms, it's like you can't put the Dhamma into, into uh, you can't fit the Dhamma into your own self-view. Uh, and that it's, uh, you're, you're recognizing your own character, your own disposition and things that, that uh, work well for you. But um, uh, in terms of practicing Dhamma, you have to uh, get a perspective on self-view rather than trying to, to say fit the Dhamma into your own particular program or your own preferences or sort of carrying your, the, the, wearing the Dhamma or you're wearing your practice like a little sort of badge that you put on your jacket or a, uh, a, a hat that you wear. You know, the Dhamma is not a, a thing that you add to your life, but rather it's, it's that to which your life is surrendered. <laughs> so that uh, it's a... Um, it's a, 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 a dynamic that, oper that operates in a, uh, a completely different way. And again, in the, I think particularly in the West, but uh, everywhere around the planet where self-view and uh, self-centered thinking, um, the, what they call the, the cult of the individual is emphasized. Uh, you know, what, what I think, what I like, what I want, what I see as right and good and true. Um, everything uh, has to be fitted into our own sort of fixed value system. Then it, it's, it makes the, the genuine practice of, of dhamma and the, the liberating qualities of dhamma really inaccessible. Uh, that the, the genuine practice of dhamma is being is obstructed by that, say, that idea of, of doing it on my, my own terms. And when I, I was living in the states, it was particularly strong in, in California, I think, um, seemingly by, by my experience there. Um, because uh, again, America is a very individualistic country, and then the kind of people that gravitate to California, a lot of them are very um, independent <laughs> and uh, and uh, sort of free thinking, and uh, have set set up their own lives according to what they like, what they uh, what they choose, what they see as being good and right. That's one of the reasons why people would go to California is to sort of create the world that they, they, they want to live in. You know, make your own world uh, rather than just being subservient to something that's come down to you from the past or from your family or, or whatever. So I'm not saying that's a bad thing. It's, it, there's a lot of benefits and blessings that come from that kind of independence and, uh, and uh, say, um, self-reliance. But a downside of it is that then you can, uh, you can assume that you, know, you, you fit the Dhamma and, and you fit the, the, your spiritual practice into the framework of your self-view and your preferences and your opinions. And so uh, I, I would see that happening a, a lot there. And yeah, very, very, uh, very sad, very uh, see, uh, ironic and uh, painful in some ways, people being extremely dedicated and sincere, but uh, repeatedly trying to fit the, the, the Dhamma and the meditation, the spiritual life into their, the, the framework of their own uh, their own preferences, their own um, opinions, their own sort of uh, uh, habits that they've built their life around. So uh, again, it, it's a it's a bit of a of a large question or a large issue, but I think getting a sense of uh, the idea of practicing dhamma on my terms is completely impossible. <laughs> if if it's on my terms, it can't be the dhamma, but rather that the the dhamma is, uh, like. Uh, uh, if we uh, equate that with nature, it's like realizing nature in terms of nature, or what we call 
Dhamma Anu Dhamma Patipada, practicing Dhamma in accordance with Dhamma rather than practicing Dhamma in accordance with my preferences, my expectations, my uh, my self view, and so that that Dhamma Anu Dhamma Patipati that that that's the fourth of the four qualities that are supportive of stream entry. So that's learning how to practice based on on Dhamma, on on nature, rather than on. Uh, on me and mine, on on conceit and self-view. So rather than I'm I'm concentrating my mind, I'm developing insight. You know, I'm uh, I'm uh, say liberating the heart from from the hindrances. All those I am's. It's basing the effort uh, for dhamma practice on mindfulness and wisdom, and not on the habits of self-centered thinking, self-advantage, and, and self-view. So the um, Tham Pet, uh, uh, people might remember where Lumpur Thun spent the, the rains retreat with us, not 2020, the, <laughs> the year gone by, the year before 2019, Lumpur Thun uh, spent the rains retreat here. He is the abbot of that monastery at Tham Pet up on the top of the hill. And so that um, uh, he was um, uh, a, a good friend of Lumpur Sumedho from those years when uh, when. Uh, Lumpur was a, a young bhikkhu, and so that uh, Tamsang Pet was newly established, and so uh, they'd known each other for a, a long, long time. And so uh, that um, when Lumpur was in that cave uh, with the python and the owl, <laughs> then the, the Lumpur Tun was also there at, the, at Tamsang Pet at the same time, and has been the abbot of the monastery there uh, at uh, Tamsang Pet for all these years. It's uh, about. 40 or 50 kilometers um, north of, uh, of Wat Bapong in uh, it's now its own province called Amnachira and, um, and it's up on a, on a freestanding hill that, sta- that is, uh, uh, sort of rises out of the plain of the, of the Isan and the, the monastery where they, where they were staying is right on the, on the top of the hill and um, so the, and the caves uh, it's, a, it's a, like a rocky outcrop, and the ca- there's quite a number of caves in the uh, in the hillside. So Lumpur was living in one of those for, for quite a long time. Any questions, thoughts, reflections? If you can use the microphone. Yes, I was wondering about the topic of patience. Um, about what? Patience. Patience. Mm-hmm. The topic of patience. Yes. Um, not so much in relation to what one is experiencing during meditation, like pain, for example, or difficult mental states, but in relation to evaluating one's progress on the path and, and re- uh, connected with the advice you were just providing from Lumpur Somero to... Um, for example, say, you know, as long as I develop a bit more patience during this life, that will have counted like a good accomplishment. Um, but why it is that despite this, which seems to, to me clearly seem to be the right approach to be kind with oneself and not put too many demands on particular accomplishments, um, there are so many, there are quite a few teachers, it seems, who do kind of talk in terms of for example, there are some who say, okay, un- unless you are a stream mentor, you shouldn't teach at all, right? Or I've heard somebody once tell me, well, 
yeah, you shouldn't even give a talk until you've accomplished something. And we've been talking also about attainments. Mm -hmm. Like basically, okay, you haven't accomplished anything at all. Everything before is just useless. So a lot of, I feel like it's, it's a kind of con contracting mindset that's painful to think, okay, um, only when I've reached this, you know, I have to reach this, otherwise basically it's all useless. But quite respected teachers talk sometimes in these terms, like really aim, aiming at a high standard. Um, I was wondering if you could comment a little bit on kind of where that's coming from. And it doesn't seem very skillful, but it seems like it's quite common that some teacher. Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, well, it's like many aspects of the teaching. It's like it, it, things taken in isolation tend to uh, be um, uh, uh, say not representing the the practice in a complete way. You know, it's just so like patience on its own um, it is not as valuable as patience sort of considered and, and developed in the in a wider context. So, along with patience, you also have urgency. You know, de developing sangvega. You know, developing a sense of urgency, like. The samsara is dangerous, like uh, the question yeah, the, uh, Roman was asking a couple of days ago. Yeah, yeah samsara is dangerous. Yeah, you don't, don't waste time. You know, practice now. You know, <laughs> the days and nights are relentlessly passing. How am I spending my time? So there are also practices, along with being patient, there are practices to arouse urgency. So to the logical mind, it's like, well, are we supposed to be patient or are we supposed to be urgent? Yeah. <laughs> it must be either one or the other. And I would say no, it's both. And that uh, the um, because if uh, if there's a, a, a genuine mindfulness and wisdom and an attunement to the way things are, then the, there's a sense of how those things work together. Yeah, it might seem strange logically, or like Lumpur Cha famously saying to Lumpur Sumedho, you know, the, the Dhamma is all about letting go, the Vinaya is all about holding on." Uh, uh, when you figure out how those work together, you'll be fine. You know, like, <laughs> do I let go or do I hold on? You know, what, what do I do? You know, it's like, well, uh, yeah, the, the left foot does uh, works in one way, and the right foot works in in a similar way. But and then they 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 work together. You, you uh, they are some ways. Your left foot is the opposite of your right foot. You know, they're a mirror image of each other. But then, you, if you work, if they work together in the proper way, and they're put on the ground, and the body balances, then they can be used to help you get along. So, uh, each spiritual quality, or like you're describing, um, some some teachers talking in, in those kind of terms, it can be uh, an encouragement to be not complacent, or not to to be just sort of taking things for granted, or to be. Um, yeah, recognizing the um, uh, or consciously cultivating a, a sense of urgency for some people uh, yeah, that that that's extremely helpful because they might be prone to being complacent and not uh, and they don't have uh, much in the way of of a, an ambitious streak or a lot of um, as a uh, self-motivation, and that the teacher's saying, you know, wake up, come on, you know, today, and today's and nights are relentlessly passing, you know, uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, the quality of urgency needs to be fed. For some other people, it needs to be sort of, uh, well, no, just 
calm down, you're too ambitious, you know, just bhava tanha, plus, 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 you know, just don't think about enlightenment, just say, okay, if just in this lifetime, like for Lumpur Sumedho, if I can just, after 30 or 40 years, just be a little bit more patient, that will be uh, a life well spent. So for him, that was a really useful reflection because he could his whole sort of American uh, conditioning of achievement and and yes, and uh, be, you know being the top and being the best and and not not wasting my time and so on. It was a, a really good counterpoint. Just if I can just be a little bit more patient, then that will be uh, a life well spent. And they get really feeling that in his heart that says yes. And I had a similar experience. Um, when uh, I was living here in the in the late eighties, early nineties, and uh, I was going through a particularly kind of grim, sort of depressed state for quite a few months, and everything seemed so pointless and worthless, and and uh, a, a painful rigmarole. And I remember when I was chanting, I was reciting the Padimokha in the middle of chanting the Padimokha, uh, as I'm reciting all the Pali, you know, like thirteen thousand words of the. Parimoka, my brain is thinking, this is all totally pointless really, isn't it? I mean, this is just like 13,000 nonsense syllables. I mean, no one can really understand this. I mean, what are we doing this for? And so I, as I'm trying to remember the words, you know, that sort of train of thought is going through my mind. And and uh, it was really kind of grim and uh, sort of grey, sort of loveless state for quite some weeks. And uh, then I, uh, once in a while, I, uh, in that era in particular, I had quite vivid dreams. And in this dream, um, uh, I was uh, pulling my fingers off and eating them. And, they, and, they, and everything was so grim and, and grey and, and, and tasteless or, or you know, bland. It, uh, there was even no taste, like pulling my fingers off and chewing them. It was like, it, even, it, it was like, um, you know, raw pastry it was like there's no there's not even any taste and didn't it hurt either it was just sort of pulling my fingers off and i pulled all the fingers and my my thumb off my left hand and then somehow i pulled them off my right i don't know what i was using to pull them off my right hand but you know dream logic is very flexible so uh, i i pulled uh, the the these three fingers off my right hand and all that was left was my my thumb and my forefinger and there was this this inner voice that said stop stop you're you're destroying the the things that are are most precious, most valuable to you. And then I woke up. And it was extremely sort of vivid and clear. Uh, and, uh, and immediately, uh, my mind made the association. It was, it was that kind of grey, depressive, negative mind state that was, uh, I got stuck in for, for several weeks. That was the thing that was so destructive and was destroying the very... Of things that were that was most precious, and um, and so it was really it wasn't any kind of logical jump. It wasn't it wasn't a rational change in my mind at all. But uh, it, uh, it one of the results of that of like wow my my goodness what am I doing to myself? Or I'm getting just so drawn into this ne negative mind state. Uh, and so anyway, without really uh, it, was, it was strange. I, I can't recall how the leap from <laughs> sort of grey, destructive depression and negativity went to th this other quality, but it was very quick. And so that my mind sort of shifted over quite rapidly, and it went to, well, if I can just 
uh, not even just in this lifetime, but if in the next 10,000 lifetimes, if I can just do one thing that helps one other being in a genuine way, then all that time will not have been wasted. And I don't really know where that came from, but it just sort of kind of formed. And that became like a, 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 a sort of a repetitive reflection. If I could just you know, do one thing that is beneficial to, to one other being in 10,000 lifetimes, all that time will not have been wasted. And, and like Lumpur's um, comment I was quoting before, I, I, somehow I knew that was true. And that, um, and there was a, a great sense of, of, of brightness and, and um, joyfulness that came from that. So it's, it's, talk about undercutting your ambitiousness, like 10,000 lifetimes of nothing but, but uh, sort of difficulty and, and, um, and uh, dissatisfaction. But if along that, those 10,000 lifetimes, there's one thing that's done to help one being, then it's worth it. Yeah, all of that, all that time, all that difficulty, all that, the adventures and, and uh, aspects of all those lifetimes, if just one being is helped along the way, great. Okay, fine, I'll do it, no problem. And uh, so it was a complete antithesis of the sort of depressive, <laughs> poor me, you know, this is all pointless, and, uh, and uh, this, is all, this is all worthless. It was uh, the, the complete flip side of that. And so that, uh, that was, a, 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 again, I'm not quite sure really where that came from or how that formed. It wasn't deliberate, but it just sort of popped into being. But that was a great way of undercutting any kind of ambitious urges I had. That there was, uh, you know, this all should be worthwhile, and I should be getting somewhere, and uh, I should be making progress, and and so on and so forth. It was like a completely different way of, of looking at that. So, you know, the 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 different things that we need, the different upayas that um, are valuable, they they change over time. So sometimes it's it's like you know if anything. Sometimes it's if the weather's hot, so you need to take a few layers off. Sometimes it's cold, so you put a few layers on. Sometimes it's the you know the the right foot goes down. Sometimes the left foot goes down. You know, it's just you you uh, use the different skillful means and and emphases of of practice according to what's needed. Because it's never the case that okay today this is useful, therefore it, this will be useful all day every day. Like no, it's like this particular time. This is this is the right thing. This is useful, but uh, that uh, that's not going to be beneficial. Like if you if uh, you are cooking something, you know you you have raw rice. You put it in a in a pot. You 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 put the heat on. You you plug the rice cooker in, and then it's appropriate to keep it cooking until the rice is done. If you keep the, the rice cooker on for two hours, three hours, five hours, the rice will be ruined. <laughs> but the appropriate thing to do is to heat it up and to let it, let, let it do, do its, its cooking for the, the appropriate number of minutes. And then it's, that's the time to switch it off or to unplug it. Yeah, okay, it's, it's done. So that at the beginning, you need the heat to make it, the, the, the change happen. And then once the change has happened, you, you don't need the heat. Otherwise, it'll be ruined. So, so much of our practice is like that. So sometimes we need uh, urgency, like don't let today pass, you know, work hard, don't let a minute go by without you know, focusing on the practice. You know, and so that you get the encouragement from a, from a teacher saying, you know, days and nights are relentlessly passing. <laughs> don't be lazy. And uh, other times, uh, if someone is really sort of hyper-motivated or really you know, anxious and agitated, then... There's uh, nothing to do, nowhere to go. Just calm down. Yeah, you know, just just relax. Like uh, 
when the, when the um, uh, I think when we were having the, the conversation a few days ago, uh, maybe it was in, in when I was talking with you in that, that little group, how uh, one uh, novice came from from Chithurst to to practice in Thailand, and he was so kind of anxious and charged up and and had such a frenetic um, level of mental activity. Lumpur famously gave him the advice: eat like a pig and sleep a lot. <laughs> Few of the other monks were thinking, "Why didn't he ever tell me to do that?" <laughs> but that was his advice: eat like a pig and sleep a lot, because he was so sort of charged up and 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 with a hyperactive mind. And Lumpur realized he was just long, kind of just cool it all down. Just to, you need you need some buffering in there because it's all so hypercharged. So for the other, you know, from the other monks, eat like a pig and sleep a lot. Oh yes, you know, that sounds certainly Lumpur. Yeah, for how long? You know. <laughs> So, so that a lot of uh, you know, the dhamma no dhamma patipati, you know, practicing dhamma in accordance with dhamma, is attuning to what's needed rather than having a fixed program. And this is my practice. This is the method, and I do this. It's like, well, what's needed is the rice cooked yet. If it's cooked, then you know, unplug the cooker, <laughs> serve the rice. It's done. Or is the rice cooked yet? No, it's not cooked yet. Okay, keep it uh, keep it on for a bit longer because it's not cooked. So that. You know, you're working with the way nature is, and, and what was good for you last year might not be very good for you now. And, and, and uh, we need that quality of mindfulness and wisdom to, to assess, to to reflect and explore. Okay, how is this? How is this working? Is this something that's useful for me now, or have things changed? So to continue. In those days, I was just a very junior monk. And one night, Ajahn Chah took us to a village fete. I think Satimanto Bhikkhu, uh, who's an American Bhikkhu from those uh, early, early days of Wabapong, I think Satimanto Bhikkhu was there at the time. We were all very serious practitioners, and we didn't want any kind of frivolity or foolishness. And of course, going to a village fete was the last thing we wanted to do, because in these villages, they love loudspeakers. But Ajahn Chah took Venerable Satimanto and me to this fate, and we had to sit up all night with the raucous sounds of the loudspeakers going and monks giving talks all night long. This is a well-established well Wobapong tradition, uh, all-night Dhamma talks. I kept thinking, oh, I want to go back to my cave. Green-skinned monsters and ghosts are much better than this. I noticed that Venerable Satimanto, who was incredibly serious, was looking really angry and critical and very unhappy. And we just sat there, looking miserable. I thought, why does Ajahn Chah bring us to these things? Then I began to see for myself. I remember sitting there thinking, here I am, getting all upset over this. Is it that bad? What's really bad is what I'm making out of it. What's really miserable is my mind. Loudspeakers and noise and distraction and sleepiness, one can put up with them, but it's that awful thing in my mind that hates them, resents them, and wants to leave. That's the real misery. That evening, I could see what misery I could create in my mind over things that one can bear. I remember that as a very clear insight of what I thought was miserable and what is really miserable. At first I was blaming the people, the loudspeakers, the disruption, the noise and the discomfort. I thought that was the problem. Then I realized that it wasn't. It was my mind that was miserable. 
If we reflect on and contemplate Dhamma, we learn from the very situations which we like the least, if we have the will to do so. So uh, I've been along to a few of those all-night uh, uh, events, sort of Dhamma fests, um, and uh, so that I can uh, empathize with, with Lumpur. But yeah, if you, if you just surrender and, and well, here it is. <laughs> as, long, as long as you don't think that you can be anywhere else or something else can be happening, then it's, it's quite, uh, quite enjoyable, really. Uh, but uh, it, that uh, I don't want to be here. I don't want to. Uh, I didn't ask for this. Uh, why? Why is he? Why is he doing this to me? And then that's the, that's the uh, the misery. Uh, well, another dhamma talk um, on this same kind of theme about being patient and and uh, sitting through these interminable uh, dhamma talks. Uh, uh, Lumpur Sumedha uh, had the insight. You know, Even as I'm thinking, I can't bear it. Actually, I'm bearing it. So that's a lie. When my mind says, I can't bear it, that's not true. That's a lie. Because I'm bearing it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the actuality of what's happening. Aha! So that was similarly a, um, a helpful insight for him in terms of listening to that inner narrative, the, the, the inner complainer, saying, I can't bear it, I can't bear it, it's not fair, why me? This is, when's this going to be over? And what, what excuse can I find to, to go and have a loo break? Yes, you know might take an hour and a half you know time to have a nap in the middle of my, my loo break somewhere but the the, um, the uh, manipulating maneuvering um, mind uh, that's that's the the miserable uh, and uh, painful state and the uh, the capacity we have we can listen to that and go oh here's the maneuvering manipulating mind looking for an excuse to be somewhere else if only I was somewhere else, if only I was someone else, if only it wasn't, wasn't now, it would be great. And then using wise reflection, often just catching what you've just thought and then replaying it clearly and consciously, that in itself is just like, if only I wasn't here, everything would be fine. And you, I find if you do that, you kind of, you, you, before you get to the end of the sentence, you find yourself chuckling like, like Lumpur in his cave with his owl and his python. It's like, you find yourself laughing, it's like, no, I wouldn't. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be annoyed by something else. You know, it's uh, yeah. I, there's no way that just by being in a different place or being in a different uh, situation that I would be totally blissfully happy. It's just not the way life works. And then that, that final comment: um, if we reflect on and contemplate Dhamma, we learn from the very situations which we like the least, if we have the will to do so. So, as Lumpur Chah would often say, everything is teaching us if we let it. Not just the teachers that we want. I'm, I'm happy to learn. <laughs> I'm happy to learn from uh, an aching leg and uh, the sound of a dhamma talk. But you know, I don't want to. I don't want to learn from toothache, or I don't want to learn from that monk in the next kuti who has that uh, irritating voice that he chants with. <laughs> I'm not going to learn from that. But I'm going to learn from this and this. That uh, it's the the uh, the entire array uh, of um, experiences if we have that, uh, that, the, that most skillful of attitudes then everything will teach us uh, the things that we, we like the things that we dislike the things that we, we want the things that we don't want that, uh, if we open the heart to all of it then uh, everything is our teacher so I'll leave it there for today